Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bowl and Branch Sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch Sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order with code BUTTERY. So head to bollandbranch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and uh, welcome to the following on podcast from TalkSport. I'm John Norman and I'd just like you to stop what you're doing. Stop. Just stop. Yep, you. Just put that pen down. Just stop for a second. Head over to YouTube, type in TalkSport Cricket and check out our brand new channel. It's devoted solely to the sport that we love. It's a really exciting moment for the whole cricket team at TalkSport and we'd love for you to be involved. So please head over to YouTube, type in TalkSport Cricket, go to the channel, hit subscribe and uh, check out some of the content that's already up there. Over the next few weeks, uh, months, years, the TalkSport Cricket YouTube channel will be the place for live cricket commentary, interviews, opinion, essentially fun. It's a place for people who love the sport but don't take themselves too seriously. It's a, a beautiful, brilliant, bewildering sport that we love. But at the end of the day, it's also a little bit crazy. Now, to start things off, I'm delighted to say that this week we were joined by an absolute legend. Stuart Broad needs no introduction. You know who he is and what he's done. But the release of his new book, Broadly Speaking, gave me a chance to talk about some of the things that you may not know the answer to. What is it like? to have a stand-up row with Ben Stokes. Why did Pakistan's match-fixing saga not get more of a mention in his book? And who was really to blame for Kevin Peterson's sacking? All these things are answered, and plenty more, here on the show and over on YouTube. Uh, so uh, enjoy. You're listening to Following On. I've gone through the book. And last night I was trying to work out what could be my first question because there are so many different aspects to you as a person, you as a cricketer, and then, of course, seismic series throughout this long career. And then I hit on it. There's a little throwaway line about Ben Stokes. He said, we've had a few few ding-dongs. So what is it like having an argument with Ben Stokes? The, The best thing about having an argument with Ben Stokes is you always put it right pretty quickly. So you might have some crosswords on the field or uh, he might make a decision that you maybe don't agree with. For example, when he dropped me in 2020 in the COVID era, I was a bit devastated, but he knocked on my door the next night. I didn't ask about cricket at all. I was just like, how are you getting on? How are you, mate? Type thing. So he's the sort of guy, both of us, to be fair, are 
we just front up with with issues pretty quickly and you know Stokes is a great friend of mine so we're never going to hold on to to arguments or grudges too long and, and bear in mind I'm talking with Stokesy a handful of times we'll have had words that are you know frank and you know I remember one at Wellington at the start of this year really struggling from one end into the wind and uh, I sort of said Stokes I can have a go to the other end he was like just bowl like type thing so you know I was like okay fair. and then you know three hours later I'm like fair enough good point you know get, take, my, get my head back as to where I need to be it takes quite a character to, to be able to tell you to do that though eh? I mean yeah you, he's, you're he, a big, you're an... he's a strong leader Stokes you know he's 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 probably one of the most authentic sort of captains I've played under because he, he he captains like he lives his life and uh, you know he's a he's a really really good guy, lives life quite helter skelter, um, and you know captains and wants his team to play like that as well. Twenty twenty, when you had your big brother moment, left out the side, and because of the COVID setup and the way that the, the world was working at that time, there was actually a little little studio, and Sky of course they need to they need to, they need to get the content themselves, and they invited you in for a little chat. I'm not sure if it was day one or two. But essentially, you go in there and you lay it on the line. You know, England are playing. You're not in the side. And it, it was almost like a confessional, you know? When you did that, did you think, I'm risking something here? Because there is a chance that's not going to be seen particularly well within the dressing room. I didn't think that. I, I do think that now. I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head a little bit. It was quite unique circumstances in that COVID bubble. Mm. We weren't allowed to socialise with each other. We, we, when we were eating, we had like a school exam table. You could just sit on your own and eat. You know, it was really... We were the first sport back after COVID, so it was very, very protocoled. And I got left out, which I was really disappointed with. I think I had decent reason to be disappointed. I think I was leading wicket-taker in the world. I was leading wicket-taker in South Africa, where we'd just won in the previous series. Uh, and I... I felt like the shirt was mine and um, didn't feel like it was necessarily a justified dropping. So I, I think the most unique thing about that interview is how you described it as a big brother chair. It was like a GoPro just in front of me. So <clears throat> when you're in an interview and if I started saying something a bit unique, if you're interviewing me, your face would change and you'd maybe yeah. your eyes would widen and I'd start thinking, OK, maybe I'm a bit off kilter here, drag it back. <laughs> I had none of that. So it did feel like my emotions just came out. And because I'd not been able to see family or friends, you can't socialise, you couldn't really have anyone in your room, you're only being able to make phone calls. I'd not expressed how I felt. So Ian Ward, good friend of mine, was suddenly asking Sky Sports questions and going, oh, you're disappointed. I'm like, no, I'm not disappointed, I'm angry. Yeah. And at no stage when I was doing it was I thinking this is wrong or, or I was just saying how I felt but looking back now I wouldn't have done that because I, I think it probably was unfair on my teammates and the guys that were playing the game but it did strengthen my resolve it did make me really determined to prove people wrong and I ended up having a fantastic summer off the back of being missing out that first game uh, and the other way that I'm not too disappointed with it is sometimes sports interviews with current players are so dull very much, oh no, looking forward to the next game, we'll take the momentum forward. And at least I was honest, at least I sort of said, I sort of poured my heart out a little bit, maybe too honest, but I'll never regret um, 
speaking my mind because I think ultimately fans do like to see that. Is that what you're going to take to the commentary box? Because it seems at times there's a, there's a bunker kind of attitude to the England cricket team, maybe a little bit precious when it comes to criticism, either individually or of the team. You're now going to have to go from that dressing room to the commentary box. You've already made the journey. I mean, how are you going to, how are you going to do that? Talking about your friends, people you've shared experiences with, but now your job is to tell it how it is. Yeah, people find that the hardest transition, I think. Um, when you talk to Nasser and Athers and uh, Alistair Cook, people like that have found that really difficult to, to be critical of, of friends. Um, I think Owen Morgan's going through that journey a little bit at the moment with the World Cup, isn't he? But that he? must and, give you a bit of a war. You know, Owen's done his job at Sky, and now you can see some of the players within the World Cup squad, they're, if not bristling a little bit at their incination or their, um, that there might be something amiss within the dressing room, but he's, crossed, he's, he's walked the floor, isn't he? Yeah, and, you, and, you, and you're ultimately you've got to do that. You've got to do that as a pundit. I think you're not doing your job as a pundit if you're not honest and speaking exactly how you see the game. That's your role. Ultimately, I, if I go, and go into being a pundit with this England team, test team, white ball team, I'm there to say it as it is. If Ben Stokes has a really bad day, and makes poor decisions. I'm allowed to say he has a bad day and he makes poor decisions. Ultimately, I'll still give Stokes a call and say, look, mate, I, I, I did say that. And he might call me and say, I don't agree with that. But we've got a friendship that's not going to break over, over me criticising. Um, and ultimately, I want, as a pundit, the, the people that I really admire when I, when I listen around the world, you know, your Mark Taylors, your Athertons, your Husseins, they're very well-rounded and they're really well-researched. So they're not just slagging people off for slagging off people's sake. They'll, they'll criticise when it's right to criticise and they'll give an opinion when it's right to give an opinion. And um, I'd hope that I will fall on that side and, and be honest as a pundit, but, but also never forget how hard it is to lace up those boots. I think that's such an important thing and sometimes can leave you quite quickly when you finish playing. Try and always connect to how difficult it is when you're out of form, when you're in hotels for a long period of time, when you're losing... Things don't go right, and uh, we're seeing that in this World Cup at the moment. You know, the whole team's lost confidence and lost form. How did it feel when I was in those situations? Because I'm lucky, in a sense, that I've been through some of the worst situations. Yes, I've had incredible moments in my career and lived the dream playing for England for a long period of time and finished in a great way. But I got hit for six sixes. You know, I, I, I got banged out of World Cups. Um, uh, I, I've been in one test in 17, we won. So I've had moments that I learned a huge amount from. So at least if I do criticise the pundit, at least I've lived it and been there and been in that situation where I've, uh, I've been poor. You never watched back the six sixes. You've very singing all of that. Have you watched back the carry-on at Lords this year? With you, you at the crease with Ben Stokes no, I shouting at Pat Cummins at no, long on, I giving I, it to short leg and to silly point. I, I haven't. Maybe I don't because it's so still. I can still remember it so clearly. Obviously, I still. I got back that night, had a cup of tea with Molly, and I was like cringing. I was like, "What was I doing? I can't believe I was doing that." But it was red mist for ten minutes. You know, I pride myself in my mental capabilities of as a player and being able to focus and control, uh, particularly from the age of twenty six, but. I did have 10 minutes of red mist, but then I did tweak it to actually feeling like I was getting under the Australian skin. So then it became a bit of a 
deliberate target. Can I say? We still it, lost the game, mind. Well, yeah, but it was brilliant. Like, it was so enjoyable. I think we won watch. every session after it happened, which is... Uh, it was a catalyst. Which I think, you know... It, it, I actually think that moment with Johnny galvanised our nation, maybe, but galvanised our team. We were... We know under Baz we're playing a brilliant sort of freedom style of cricket, but it just brought a bit of edge to the series that maybe we needed. Is Johnny ready to laugh at that yet? No, I wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> Do you think he'll ever be able to laugh at it? I think it became with such like scrutiny as well. You know, I, I think all of us got messages and tweets and Instagrams of different occasions where the spirit of cricket had been looked at differently and Johnny rolling the ball at stumps. And you know, Ultimately, the, there was such a big difference. I thought Johnny was, there was no way Johnny was trying to gain an advantage, whereas when Johnny's rolled the ball at the stumps, when Smith starts out his crease, well, Smith's starting outside his crease to take the LBW out of the equation because he'll be outside the line. So I think they, they differed. Um, but it put, ultimately, Johnny... Had, had had a slow start to the Ashes series and it was at a time where he was desperate to score some runs and that got taken away from him in a really unique way. Uh, so it sort of heaped a bit of pressure on him in a sense. So that's probably why it, it was as frustrating for him as, as, as it was. But he, he came good at Old Trafford uh, a couple of tests later. Thanks for listening to the Following On podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Or you can now tweet us at cricket underscore TS. As well as that, you can now also watch us on YouTube. So for regular cricket insight from the likes of Bumble, Goffey and Harmy, live cricket commentary and exclusive video content that you can't find anywhere else, search for the TalkSport Cricket YouTube channel. Time to get back to the show. One of the things I thought with you is that... So go back to 2020 with the Big Brother moment, right? You are putting pressure on yourself. You're a bit of a tactic of mine. Well, so, so that's it, right? You seem to me, I mean, I might be wrong, but it seemed to me that you, you, you may be, you might have drifted a little bit. It was almost like, you're, I don't know what, 10 years into your career, maybe 12 years into your career as an international, and you, you've done it. You know, you've got hundreds of wickets, and maybe you were losing sight a little bit about how much you wanted this. You get dropped. 2019, then you get dropped in 2020, England lose both games, and then you're, you're called back into the team. But because of this big brother moment, I mean, all eyes are on you. And then for the rest of the series, I think that you were the top wicket taker. When, when I do my, I'm the reporter for TalkSport, so I, I always highlight the bowler that's taken the most wickets in every single innings. It's just something that I can just, and it was your name, it was your name, it was your name, it was your name. And your performance went like that. Are you, are you kind of like addicted to that pressure? And if you are, how are you going to replace that? I love that pressure. And I think ultimately towards the end of my career, I really connected with how to put that pressure on me. I'm not saying by doing media interviews and, and uh, adding the scrutiny that way, but little things how I'd engage with the crowd. So when you look at engaging with the crowd very hard for a young player to do because if you're at the end of your mark whistling your arms around saying come on 30,000 people let's hear you you run in and bowl a half volley that gets whacked for four you look a bit silly yeah. but for me I, I found that that would really steal my mind so I'd lift the crowd I'd hear them roar so Marnus Labashane's first ball of the series remember I got Warner bowled Marnus comes in I'm like right Edgebaston let's hear you let's go let's get it moving let's get it moving. and it was a huge roar 
But that, that steeled my mind to go, right, well, I need to bowl on the perfect outswinger here because I'm looking to find that outside edge. Challenge him. Don't let him leave the ball. Because I've got that added pressure of the crowd expectancy and the roar. And that just, just got me in the right frame of mind. And there's, there was a few occasions... But how are you going to replace that in your life? Um, I don't need to replace it. Is I, don't think, done? I don't think I need to replace it. No, I mean, I, I think I can look back. I think part of that reason of me walking away from the game early, finishing playing for England, finishing in the pinnacle, I'm not chasing anything anymore. I, I've spoken to a few different people who have moved away from the game and, and definitely the ones that have transitioned the best are the ones that finished on their own terms. Mm. So it means that I did have a fear of bowling against a 21-year-old and them hitting me and going, oh, I thought he was supposed to be good, or tearing a hamstring uh, uh, and that being the end of my career. So I think that would then lead me wanting, to, wanting more. But I can honestly sit here as we speak three months after and go, I, I, I don't need more. I've finished in the most fairy tale way. I don't need to chase that adulation or that, that crowd anymore. How I'll replace that, I won't chase to replace it. I'll just find up different things that really make me happy and spending time with my family. Having more time to spend with my family is definitely going to be one of those. Um, and, you know, ultimately supporting England, supporting my friends, supporting the, the, the guys uh, that put on that cap will bring me great joy, but without having the pressure of having to deliver. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The book is 309 pages long, and one of the chapters or sections I was most looking forward to reading was essentially was the fairy tale, but also the nightmare. 
169, batting at number nine, at Lords, player of the match, but of course, the Pakistani spot fixing match. But it only gets a paragraph. Why is that? Um, so I wanted the book to be really exciting and influential to, for people to read, whether you're 12 years old, whether you're on holiday as an older person that would inspire you to love the game of cricket. And ultimately, for me, uh, it, was, it was talking about things that brought me great joy and, and brought me what I learned from a mindset point of view and what the stories that developed me throughout my career. And I don't think that moment had any sort of definition in my career. I obviously scored 100 in that game. But that was a, a worldwide cricketing story. Um, but personally for me, I, I didn't dive too much into that. I was in, obviously played in the game, but I was, I was very focused on what our next challenge was. It was you know, I've talked about it in media interviews before and, and how that felt being a part of the team playing in those games going past that. But that was only a tiny little clip in my, in my career of two or three weeks, really, of, of what happened. I know the worldwide cricket, it, it continued with bands, etc. But because I didn't feel like I had a major sort of opinion on that or a role played in that, um, I didn't feel like it was a talking point for everything that's happened in my whole career, both positive and negative. Whereas the, the Uvraj instance, I'd never talked about, never watched, felt like I had... It felt really therapeutic to approach that. I think maybe if I'd have been more involved with what happened in that in that test match at Lords, uh, it would have been felt therapeutic to talk about it and open up about it. But um, can you can you give me an idea though? When you invest everything in your life to be as good as you possibly can, and you walk out onto a cricket field and you come up against a team which may not be trying to lose a match, but they're certainly not trying to win it to the best of their abilities, and then that team or certain people within that squad then accuse you of doing what they've been doing. I mean, that, that's interesting in itself. And that must... Do, I don't remember them accusing... I yeah, think the chairman did. came out, didn't yeah. he, and said that said the England that you, team... You threw an ODI. I mean, the fact that you yeah, can't even remember yeah. that. I mean, that's... Yeah. It just wasn't a, it wasn't a thing within our team. It just, you know, it was something that happened. Um, obviously, a, a huge moment for Pakistan cricket, but but not something within our team that that took our focus away from what we were doing. You know, it was, it was a unique period of time. Um, but I, I don't remember it affecting me a huge amount. I don't remember me, like, having loads of feelings towards it, apart from just a bit of sadness, to be honest. You never watched back the 6-6s. Six you voided the 21-22 ashes. Is that how you cope with things that you don't like? You just compartmentalise it? Just Yeah, interesting use of the word void there, because it's that sort of... I know it was That's a light sort of I know it was a light what I, what I meant with that is uh, exactly what your question means is because it was such a tough period of time, mm. uh, I, I didn't really dissect why and what had happened too much. I just tried to move on from it. I'd sort of, in my own mind, parked the bus on it because I didn't think there were many learnings I could grab from it. It was such a unique tour with COVID and all the things that happened that... It wasn't like I could grab things from it and go, right, I'm good. this is going to make me a better cricketer. This is going to make the team better. It was just, let's park that. It, was, it wasn't full Ashes cricket for me. It wasn't about 
the best playing against the best. It wasn't about having the best conditions to play in and being elite sport. It was about keeping the game alive, to be honest. So um, that was the, the Uvash thing I didn't watch back because I, I had the feelings. I knew what I could learn from it. I, I knew I had to develop a mindset and, and it just felt like a blur to me. And I know that other players that I've played with have had that exact same feeling. Um, Stokesy in the in the World Cup final when he when Brathwaite got him and I Joss had it in the Champions Trophy final, so I know other players have gone through that, but I had to take learnings from it. So although I didn't want to watch it back because I didn't want to re- make it real, I still I still grabbed info from that. Whereas that Ashes series, that word void sort of was in my own brain that I don't even need to learn from that. Let's just write write it off. Your dad played with the Uber Alpha Male in Sir Ian Botham. A guy that serves a drugs ban, run his own captain out on purpose, although he was told to do it by the vice captain. Missed, a, missed two tours, one, I think, to do a panto. And yet the England... He missed an England tour to a panto? I believe so. <laughs> that can't be true, can it? <laughs> but, the, but he still played for England for mm. 15 years. Mm. And I'm sure he was an absolute pain in the backside at times within the dressing room but your dad would be, would dad be loves him. exactly right dad loves him. so why did the England management coaching the team the structure manage to support or contain or get the best out of Ian Botham for 15 years and yet when it came to Kevin Peterson who I'd say is probably just as much of a pain in the backside his career was cut short and it seemed like England couldn't deal with him. So what, what do you think was the difference between the two setups that enabled one player to play at the peak for 15 years and the other one to essentially have his career cut short? I think, I mean, I think Ken Peterson still goes down as a legend of English cricket. 100, Absolutely. 100 test matches, Absolutely. averaging nearly 50. I think, from my point of view, he taught me a lot about him and Freddie and the 09 Ashes about mindset of taking Australia on. I think... They, they bought that freshness in 05 to, to break the shackles of Ashes cricket, didn't they? They're learning that, actually, let's not play Shane Warne the name, let's not play Glenn McGrath the name, let's play the ball, let's take them on, let's look them in the eye. So I think they, they, they taught the new generation how to do that, and hence we've not lost an Ashes series in England since 01, I think. Is that right? Yeah, um, So You know, I think, I think he... It was only really the back end where there were clashes with management staff. Uh, and, you know, I th- I've mentioned in the book quite a bit about going into a selection meeting and yeah, wanting... Yeah, 2000, and, you were the captain, you know, T20 World he'd, Cup. He'd, he'd opened the batting in the, in the T20 going forward and I didn't have a clue that... Uh, well, that was the first I'd heard that he was not going to be available for selection on the eve. And it was a unique situation because Ashley Giles was the coach at the time, not Andy Flower, and Ashley was, you know, um, managed KP really well, just knew how to deal with him, had played a lot with him, <clears throat> and we saw him as quite an integral part of going to, to Bangladesh and, and having success, and uh, the decision was way above our heads. I wasn't a selector, so I didn't really have an opinion, uh, I didn't really have a, a choice, but I gave my opinion that I'd like him on the plane, and I didn't get that choice. And I, you know, I've chatted to to KP quite a bit. I got to know him really well, actually, over working with him with Sky, and I've put the Daniel links uh, in Scotland, and he, he definitely had his career cut short. Um, do, you think, do you think, looking back, that the team 
did play a part in that. I mean, no, no not at all. I, I think I think he he, he team, clashed with if the test team had, had backed him. If they'd wanted him, if they'd demanded him. I don't think the team had a choice. As I said, as a player, that was the first so I heard management. of management. Yeah, that was the first I'd heard of him moving aside was in a selection meeting. So I, I, I don't think it was anything to do with the, the team or the, or the players why, why he moved on. And I think it was such a unique scenario that had never happened before, never happened again, that a player gets sacked from a contract halfway through. You know, I just don't see why you wouldn't just drop a player or say, go back to county cricket and score runs. Ultimately, every player had a disaster, that 13, 14 ashes. Mm. It was cl- complete burnout of a team. Um, it, was, it was one of those... We, we won the 13 ashes, played brilliantly. Um, Ian Bell had a great series. We had full of energy. Swanee took wickets. And the back-to-back ashes, 10 in a row, mentally just, just exhausted, exhausted us. And Andy was obviously leaving after the series. So... Maybe we, we as a group had lost a bit of zest. We're an ageing team. We, we, had, we had players coming certainly towards the back end. Swanee leaving just before Christmas, I remember, um, with an elbow problem. Um, so I think our team had peaked and maybe it was the decision to, to strike with some new, fresh blood. And ultimately, I think sport's such a, a wonderful thing in the fact that you can feel important as a player. Uh, and I, you know, I can feel that now. As a, you, you, know, you think, oh... I, I take wickets or score runs, uh, I'm needed. But someone comes in and grows and, and ultimately does better. And someone like Joe Root became the next generation straight away. So you lose a senior player and Joe Root comes in and grows into being, I would say, one Joe of our Root. best batters ever. So there's going to be, for me, when I look at players leaving, there's always sadness that you think maybe you could have got another year out of them or maybe you could have got another three years out of them. But for me... Maybe a Gus Atkinson comes in and takes the lead, is a leading wicket taker in Test cricket in the next year. You don't know. It's it's all about opportunities that that come their way from senior players leaving. And you know we might have an interesting look in this 50-over World Cup squad after. You know it's been a, a really tough period now, but I'm a believer that experience takes teams a long way. So you want to keep experience about. Stuart, there's uh, there's so many other things we could talk about, but we are running to the end of the interview. So I thought I'd just sum up with what Alistair Cook said. He said, you achieved everything you wanted to achieve and you're the only cricketer I know who can say they thrived in and delivered in every big moment. That's, that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, really cool. You know, Cookie's been someone who I've trusted a lot throughout my career and spoken to a huge amount. He's, he's, he's a wealth of information and, and uh, you know, I talked a bit about me moving away from the game with him because he did it in in a fairy tale way, scoring 100 at the Oval against India. So, yeah, I knew as a captain he always backed me to, to deliver when, when he needed me. And, um, you know, I do take great pride in the fact that I did thrive under that pressure of being needed at times. Stuart, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. 
Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Superlight Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And, because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot code SUPER24. At TalkSport, we absolutely love it when our fans get stuck in. That's why we want you to join us in The Dugout, a brilliant new TalkSport listener community. It's a place where you can tell us what sports you're into and who your favourite teams are. And tell us what you think we could do better, like big guests and new sports and that. You could win an Amazon voucher for taking part. What are you waiting for? Visit TalkSport.com slash dugout and get stuck in. 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. 